This is Season 3, Episode 10 of the Fly the W670 Podcast. Remembering those 84 Cubs, don't forget to listen, download, subscribe to the Fly the W Podcast. And, of course, don't forget to leave that five-star review. Well, the Cubs get out of the gate quick. They're 12-8. and They're tied for first with the Mets and the Phillies. They're still in first place on May 25th. Got 26-16 and record when Dallas pulls off another trade. This time he's trading longtime fan favorite Bill Buckner, to the Boston Red Sox. He talked about balls going between the legs, but he swaps Buckner for Dennis Eckersley and slowly but surely that rotation, because he had a lot of guys that were injured. Uh, Big daddy, uh, you know, Rick Russell was injured. You had some injuries on there, but now three out of the five guys on there were just, were because of trades Dallas green made. And when Dennis, I mean, that had to have been really hard to lose someone like Billy Buck, who was beloved by the fan base in Chicago and by his teammates. Yeah. Billy, uh, Billy and I were pretty close. It, and, and Billy could be very moody at times when he, he didn't get his hits that day. He always had a favorite expression. Some, we were in a ball game four to three, and Buck would go one for five. And uh, we'd be sitting in the, in the clubhouse way down the left field on that old clubhouse. And somebody would say, hey, Billy, good game. Put a smile on your face. And he'd look at him and say, you be happy. And that became his nickname, you be happy. Because <laughs> after the game's over, our our um, our great trainer, Tony Garofalo in those days, he took a lot of time with Buck. Buck, would ha- Buck went through a lot of pain. And he would sit there with two buckets filled with ice and, uh, and soaking his ankles sometimes for an hour after every ball game. He mm. played hurt. And I had, a, I had to go down there the day that, you know, going to clubhouse, one of those deals, hey, Buck, you know, we're sending you to Boston. And we're getting Eckersley. And uh, that's how that went down. Eckersley, on the other hand, when he arrived, one of my favorites because he was a character. He always had different sayings for different pitches. He had his own lingo. And after ball games, I would get some of the writers coming up in the clubhouse. And, and he says, what's he talking about cheese? What's he <laughs> talking about this? He had little nicknames for everything. I said, you got to get a new new vocabulary out when you're dealing with Dennis. But Dennis... Dennis had that little spark in him. He was a he was a go-getter. Yeah, and his first game is on May 27th, and, and that game is famous because of a reversed call on a home run by Ron Say. The pitcher, Mario Soto, shoves the umpire, and the next thing you know, they're, they're deciding whether it's a home run or not, and he gets into it with Don Zimmer. I mean, talk about a crazy game. Well, Zim, Zim is one, another one of the favorite characters, our third base coach, and uh, he's a, he was a baseball lifer. He... I could sit around on the plane and, and listen to him talk about baseball and some of his experiences. But one, one funny story that always sticks in my mind about Zim, actually two, uh, we'd be flying into Philadelphia and Zim and Harry Carey and George Frazier, our relief pitcher, they would get off on the tarmac. There'd be a limousine waiting for him to whisk <laughs> them away at night down to Atlantic City. And they wouldn't reappear until the next morning at Veterans Stadium at 9 o'clock in the morning. So I used to think, oh, that's great. Our third base coach, our our announcer, and our relief pitcher are not getting sleep at all. But uh, no, Zimmer, the other story would be years later when he was a manager, I'd go down and get some starting lineups from him about 9 o'clock in the morning. And he'd say, Bob, come back in a half an hour. The racing forms here, and I got to get my I got to get my ponies going. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're a classic character. Now, you know, the Cubs are still in it when, when you talk about June, and Dallas has one more big trade up his sleeve on June thirteenth. He's going to send Mel Hall, Joe Carter, 
Don Scholes and Darren Banks to the Indians for Rick Sutcliffe, George Frazier, and Ron Hassey. And that Sutcliffe trade, you know, he was rookie of the year with the Dodgers and then kind of, kind of things went a little bit sideways. He ends up in Cleveland where it's not happening. He makes his debut on June 19th. He gets the win. Rick Sutcliffe has one of the most unbelievable runs I ever seen in my life. He goes 16 and one with the Cubs. What did having Sutcliffe bring to the team? He was an anchor. You knew when he took the ball every four or five days, okay, he was going to get you a W or he's going to go deep into the ball game and enable us to bring in somebody like Lee Smith to close it out or whatever. Uh, Sut the Red Baron. I mean, he, he and Jody Davis just hooked up, I mean, as a battery and you almost could write it into your into your book, okay? And sometimes I almost did <laughs> because Sut was always good for that W all the way up to later in the year when we clinched it in Pittsburgh on uh, September 24th with Jody Davis behind the plate catching that last uh, strikeout. It was amazing. Sutcliffe deserves so much credit for that season. But when you have a pitcher like that, everybody else falls in a two, three, and four. It makes the whole staff better. So now the, the Cubs are starting to really kind of pick up a little bit of steam. And June 23rd, 1984 is, is clearly a game that is etched in Cub fans' memories. Cubs versus Cardinals. Game of the week. Ralph Citarella versus Steve Trout. The Cubs are down 7-1, to one, then 9-3. to three, And they enter the bottom of the ninth, trailing 9-8. to eight, And Sandberg comes up to the plate against the best closer in the game. The best. Former Cub Bruce Suter. And he hits a solo home run. And I think a lot of us, especially, you know, especially for my generation, really growing up, that was like the first big baseball memory you had was that Sandberg game. He, he ties it up. The Cardinals score two in the 10th to make it 11 to nine. Suter's still on the mound. Bobby Dernier draws a two out walk. And then Ryan Sandberg hits a two run homer. The Cubs would win an 11. And a lot of people think Sandberg won it. No, bases loaded. It is Davey Owens who gets the RBI single to win it. But that is forever known as the Sandberg game. Rhino went five for six, two home runs, and seven RBIs. As a PR guy, you have the game of the week, and everybody in the world kind of – people don't realize back in the day, that was it. Yeah, that, that was the game. Bob Costas was there. It was the game of the oh. week. But, you know, Sandberg was almost not going to be there that day. And I'll tell you the story behind that. The year before, uh, actually going back to 82, when he first came up as a third baseman, he started April. One, I think it was one for 30 or one for 31 at the plate. And I get a call into Dallas's office, and he said, uh, you know, I think we're going to send Rhino back to Des Moines, AAA, and get a press release ready, and uh, we're going to probably make the announcement in two days to get it ready. Well, now it becomes May. And I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden, Samberg goes out and gets two hits this day. Then he gets three. Then he gets another two. By the end of the week, Dallas called me back into his office. He says, you got that release? He says, tear it up and throw it away where the sun don't shine. He says, that ain't going to happen. And I think it was Pat Tabler that was going to come up from Des Moines uh, or Junior Kennedy, one of the two. I can't, I can't remember. But that never happened. And years later, I used to tell Rhino, I said, Ryan, you don't know how close you were to going back to AAA. And I said, you know, in this game, and I've seen it for decades, sometimes a guy goes back to the minor leagues and never comes back again. He loses his confidence, he gets injured, and he never makes it back up to the big show. So to see what happened to Rhino that day, I reflected back that night with Ned Coletti, my assistant. I said, you know, you remember the time 
we had that release ready to go. And I, I told Ron when he went into the Hall of Fame, I said, you know, I, I should have kept that release. <laughs> <laughs> you get an autograph and be worth something, right? Now at the All-Star break, the Cubs record was 48-36. They're half a game, they're within half a game. You got the Cubs, the Mets, the Phillies, they're all fighting for first. But the second half's a different story. The Cubs are rolling, the Mets are kind of even with them, and and, and the Phillies start to struggle. But the big moment of the second half is when the Mets and, and, you know, I'm sure Dallas didn't want to hear about this, but you have that specter of 69 and the, and the black cats and all that stuff. And, and Hey, they're still in it with the Cubs and you got a four game series with the Mets in the beginning of August, you got a, a game. And then on Saturday, and then you got a double header in the middle game of the series. And, and then you have one more game after that. And so the Cubs take game one, nine to three, they scored six runs off Dwight Gooden, who was battling Sutcliffe all year for Cy Young. He wins rookie of the year. Mm -hmm. And then both games of the doubleheader, but something sparked the team in that doubleheader against the Mets. Do you remember? Well, I remember the the whole that whole series because that was a pivotal series. Everybody, you know, when the media comes in from New York, and I grew up in New York and I know that area, okay, they had all their, their big shots coming on in and they were like ready to roll out the uh, the funeral for the Cubs. You know, <laughs> 69 was going to happen all over again. They were, the headlines in the papers and everything else. And I'll never forget, you know, I, Moreland uh, and, and, and Sarge were very instrumental in the clubhouse saying, you know what, we're the Cubs and we're going we're gonna to take it to them. And in that second game of the doubleheader, uh, I'll never forget um, Ed Lynch throws an inside pitch uh, and I don't know if it, I can't remember whether it hit Keith Moreland or just backed him down and, and put him in the, put him in the uh, batter's box, but Moreland looked out to the mound. And then as he's a former Texas Longhorn football player, he charges the mound and he did a slide tackle that landed old Ed Lynch on his back. And that was the fire. Everybody kind of got around that and we swept that series. And I always wanted to tell Ed, I wouldn't tell it to his face. I said, <laughs> but I always wanted to say, you know what? You play, we, you should, we should have given you a partial share in the, in the playoff stuff that year, because that gave us the, uh, this, that momentum of going in to July. And now we flipped the switch. It wasn't the Cubs were going to fold and the Mets were going to overtake them again. It was no stopping the Cubs now. Yeah, I mean, when that series started, the Cubs were up half a game. And when they when, when the Mets left, they're down four and a half games, and the Cubs don't fall out of first for the rest of the season. And then you talked about that battery of, of, of Jody and Rick Sutcliffe. I mean, who else would you want on the mound on September 24th, 1984? The magic numbers at one. Uh, and, you know, you're going to make it for the postseason for the first time since 45. Do you remember like the atmosphere? It was more Cub fans oh. than than Pirates fans on that night. There, there were in the stands. I remember that uh, that ninth inning. I remember that last pitch that Sut actually was right on the on the black of the plate. It was it wasn't <laughs> dead. And Jody caught it, and then the rush, and everybody's pouring out. I mean, it was the emotions of that. And then you know, the, the, I have to say the Pirates did a classy thing. Back in Chicago, everybody was downtown outside the at the marquee at Clark and Addison, and uh, they were celebrating in the streets and all the TV cameras. They put up on the big screen in center field so that the players, we all came back, 
and watched it on the screen so that we wouldn't miss the celebration. <laughs> and then we went into the clubhouse and champagne was pouring all over the place. I got soaked and everybody got soaked. And it was like the greatest feeling. I know my son a couple of years ago when he was in the World Series and lost to the Dodgers, when they clinched the uh, American League championship to get in there, uh, he felt that champagne moment. And that's what you play for in baseball. You you gut it out, spring training, 162 games, playoffs, and everything else. And that's the feeling. You want that moisture on you. And a uh, little trivia there, I found out later on the uh, the champagne bottles, okay, for anybody <laughs> wondering where they all came from, Tony Garofalo's father, <laughs> our trainer, had an inside thing. I think he was in the, in the, in the business of uh, the liquor business. And he got all those champagne bottles together in the clubhouse. <laughs> nice. And now as a PR director, you have the unfortunate job of trying to make sure that all those players are ready because the news, even the next day, the 84 Cubs were the big story, the clinching since 45. So what's it like when you have to wake up all these players the next day to do media? Well, we're going to get back to the hotel after the game till probably a 10 or 11 o'clock and nobody wanted to go to bed. And there, you know, we're, we're partying all over in the hallways, in the, in the, in the restaurants and everything else. And of course I had to go over to Sandberg and to Sutcliffe and to a couple other guys, Ronnie say, and say, guys, good morning. America wants us on and they want us on it to be there at their studio at seven o'clock in the morning. And Sandberg immediately turned left and, and bolted. And Denier, Denier was half delirious. He said, yeah, I guess I'll be there, Moreland. So I, I said, guys, I'm coming knocking on the door at 630. And I said, I'm going to pull you out. I said, because we got to go on national TV. Well, literally, I had to pull a couple of the guys out. We got about five of them out there. Got him into a limo and off we went to the ABC Uh deal and, and and did the uh, Good Morning America show. And then there was a, just an onslaught of, you know, interviews after interviews when we got back to Chicago. And I only had a PR staff of three people. It was me, Ned Coletti, and Sharon Panazzo and his secretary. Uh, we didn't have the staff they have today where they got, you know, nine or 10 people in PR. Plus, our department also was in charge of putting out the souvenir programs. We were putting out the yearbooks. We were arranging the Cubs caravan in the winter. It was a grind. And uh, I know there was one uh, time uh, after the season, after the 84 season, I finally got a break. My We, we lived over in Arlington Heights, and we got invited to a, a New Year's Eve party. Well, most of the people in the neighborhood never had even seen me. They knew my wife, <laughs> but I would come home most nights at 11 o'clock. And I had to be back at the ballpark at seven o'clock in the morning. So we go to attend this party and I go and Vera introduces me to the neighbors and she says, Oh, we didn't know you were married. <laughs> what do you do for a living? <laughs> Baseball widow, I think is the term, That's right? That's exactly what it was. Yes. And, and and so I guess one of the things that always stuck with me is when, before the season ends, I don't know how it happened. If it's organically players, Jim Fry but that march around Wrigley Field when all the players and basically thanking the fans for the 84 season. And, and to me, that, that's been a moment that's always kind of stuck in my head. Yeah, it's uh, it was magical. I know during that, that season, after the Sandberg game, I was hosting uh, in, uh, in Northfield, in the suburbs on the north side, a Cub Fan Mania uh, radio show there that we did once a week. 
and the restaurant would be sold out. 500 people would come in there and we bring out some of the ball players on that night. And I saw that magic. I mean, it was standing room only. They, I couldn't believe that they would get there sometimes two hours before the show would begin to come in and see these guys. So it was a, it was something I never experienced before. And I've been around a lot of good crowds in Baltimore with the Orioles and seen some parades and certainly with the Redskins and so forth that, that kind of topped my list that year. I, you know, and, and the funny thing is this is before the Super Bowl shuffle, even that, that a couple of the players decide they're going to record a, a song and that song became known as Men in Blue. I'm trying to think. I, I know Jody was on it. I know Rick Sutcliffe was on it. Leon Durham. Uh, I think it was Moreland on there. Moreland was, none of them could sing, by the way. <laughs> none of them could sing. But you give them a couple of beers and the words would come out okay. And and so just that Men in Blue, I, I remember that clearly. And you're thinking to yourself, I mean, to me, I, I always felt like that was just one of the best teams I'd ever seen until 2016. And even then you wonder, you know, thing baseball's weird. You Bob, I don't have to tell you that weird things can happen. And oh, sometimes yeah. the best team doesn't always advance. But when you think about, okay, you got, you had great guys as far as the, uh, you know, leading off, you had the daily double as Harry would like to call them, Bobby D and Ryan Sandberg. You had this meet of the order where you, you, you know, you had guys like the Sarge and Moreland and Leon Durham all driving in runs. You, you had a catcher in Jody Davis that just was, is probably other than Gabby Hartnett the best catcher in Cubs history. But we also had some, don't there were some French players there. Mm-hmm. Thad Bosley, great pinch hitter. Uh, Gary Woods, uh, I love Gary. He he's no longer with us, but uh, just a nice guy, a good filling in left field. He was supportive there. Uh, we we had some really good uh, Richie Hebner, the hacker. I mean, he was a guy too that had a little edge to him. And he he would get around. He'd been around baseball with the Pirates and the Tigers and so forth. Richie could put some spark there. And as he used to tell people, he says, I'll bury you. And, <laughs> of course, in the offseason, he actually did bury a few people because his father ran a funeral home and Richie oh, dug graves. 